0: When I was growing up, we had great stats. Now, I mean, true shooting percentage. I don't know what that is. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome today. Uh, Today is a conversation I wanted to have for a long time what's better the eye test or analytics watching film or using stats i think that those things are a false dichotomy i i don't believe that those things are really separate and we'll talk about that in today's episode but you know if i had a if i had a mission statement for this podcast for really any of the work i do in basketball it's to bridge this idea that there's an eye test way to watch the game and there's a stats way to watch the game, that, that people either use data or they scout a lot of film. Because really, these things go hand in hand. I talked about this with Nate Duncan on his wonderful Dunked On podcast earlier in the year. The, the, the idea that you would watch film and not measure stuff that happens on the film that you're watching or only use data but not understand what the data applies to, is really a false dichotomy. It's it's really a poor practice. Those things live together fundamentally. When you want to, say, figure out, oh, you know, who's the best ice pick-and-roll defensive duo in the league or something like that, something very hardcore X's and O's, ice coverage is a kind of pick-and-roll coverage, you would still want to... Measure that and understand what you're looking at. You, you, you would not be able to remember hundreds of players playing ice coverage over thousands of possessions and accurately figure out who's the best and who struggles. Uh, I talk about this in Thinking Basketball. These tasks are just not made for any human brain. They're made for computers, and well, I guess if you're the Rain Man or something like that, um, but, but it's just too much for us to measure. And so all the use of stats and analytics and this entire movement is just about getting better measurements for the things we observe on the court that matter. And that's the thrust. And And sometimes it can go wrong. Sometimes it can go drastically wrong. And I want to talk about that today. But there, of course, does seem to be two crowds out there in, in this discussion. And maybe that's simplifying a bit, but On one hand, you have people who use stats, a lot of stats, and on the other hand, you have folks who uh, lament their use of stats. They say, you're a stat guy, you're an analytics guy, Um, you get the classic watch the game, um, things of this nature. We're all familiar with this discussion that's been taking place for years. I I don't know what to call these two crowds, but in, in thinking about it before recording here... I think I'm going to call them the advanced stats crowd and the traditional stats crowd, because here's the secret. This is the first big takeaway in this discussion that I feel like, you know, should be on the ESPN ticker at the bottom of the screen on every basketball show. Everyone uses stats. Everyone relies on data in this sport because this sport is has a lot of information. And sure people say oh it's, you know you're over, you're making it overly complex, it's really simple. The thing is it's not super simple that's that's kind of a disservice to the entire sport to say that coaching and scheming, X's and O's training, different strategies that have evolved over the years, the idea that there's a three- point shot, a two- point shot, a one point shot, and how those mathematically affect strategy. to say that's really really simple and you don't need to measure anything, is really a disservice to the to the entire game. And and more than that, it's just not really true. It's actually very hard. It's not, it's not that the sport put the round ball in the little hoop is overly complex or the rules are overly complex. It's more that trying to keep track of all of the stuff for all of the teams, for all of the players starts to get into, you know, hundreds of players and thousands of possessions and tens of thousands of events. And who can remember that? No one can remember that. People barely have time for 280 characters these days. Again, everyone uses stats. It's just the stats that you're comfortable using. And I think that's really the first sort of segue into this conversation to bridging these, not only bridging these communities, but trying to move toward uh, what I know some of the folks over at Nylon Calculus have called things like a unified theory of basketball. How how can we talk about the game in a way that we all agree upon? So when I say everyone uses stats, the traditional stats crowd is going to rely on things like points, rebounds, assists, maybe the like field goal percentage, and certainly basic team stats like wins, the final score occasionally. And how many playoff series you win. These are all measurements. These are all things that people had to keep track of. And for a long time, they were all that we had, right? We, we we didn't even have stuff like turnovers in the box score before 1974. We We didn't always have people keeping track of things like field goal percentage. That was the stat head of the time, was field goal percentage. In fact, Let's, let's hop in a time machine together. Let's go back, say, 50 years before the ABA and the NBA merged, long before Jordan's and the three-point shot, and look at the landscape of what it meant back then to use stats or be a stat guy. To be a stat guy in the 1960s meant to keep track of all of, you know, oh, I know everyone's points. I know everyone's rebounds. I know everyone's assists. And then you maybe got a little nerdy. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean that as in geeking out, getting hardcore, you know, going deeper. Maybe you got nerdy back then and you were a stats guy if you said, oh, I've calculated everyone's points per game, I've figured out the actual field goal percentage. And in fact, they called your points per game average your scoring average, which was a term that I always thought was borrowed from. Baseball is in the batting average, but baseball is a great example. It's a great parallel. In baseball, it was commonplace to have an ERA, which is just a bunch of averages. It's it's runs, you know, over the course of nine innings or whatever, and then you take out some of the other stuff that doesn't matter. And people get comfortable with that as a basic, or I think a better word is just a traditional stat, a traditional measuring stick. Obviously, when we introduce new measuring sticks, it asks more of the community. It asks more of people to say like, well, well, what does RPM mean? What does plus minus mean? And that's, that's totally normal to, to have that resistance or that friction to things that are constantly being piled on. But that's just a function of getting better information about the sport. And that's all that's happened. So if we stay in our time machine and we move forward in time, You know, you were a stat head in the 70s or 80s if you were trying to figure out things around, say, pace or efficiency. This is before the revolution. Dean Oliver really uh, brought the sport forward, advancing all these stats. And by the way, when I say advanced versus traditional, advanced per this conversation is not to say that something is inherently complicated or, or you need a math PhD or anything like that. Advance is just you took the thing and you moved it down the road more. So instead of using assists, you use assist percentage. Instead of using field goal attempts, use a field goal attempts and free throw attempts. That's advancing it. It's moving it forward. That's the whole idea. And so I think that's a really good place to draw a line in the sand, even if it's a little bit reductionist, to say there's a group of people who are resistant to that. It's not that you use everyone uses stats. It's not that you're using stats. It's that you're continuing to move stats down the road. And as a result of that, we've got new benchmarks to look at and understand. The ultimate take home as always is just, we want to apply as much relevant information as we can to the context. Do we have domain expertise in this area? And do we understand how we're applying the data? This whole idea of advancing stuff forward and trying to understand what we're measuring and basically, in short, getting better measurements, that's, that's, that can be tricky. Nuance is not easy to package and sell. It, it certainly doesn't sell like Skip Bayless hotcakes, which actually reminds me. We got to pause for a quick sponsor. Are you hungry and don't have time to make food? Sure, there are great options on the market. But Skip's hot takes are delivered right to your doorstep for breakfast every day. Start the day with some of his favorites, like the Kobe sandwich that's two eggs, Kobe steak, and a side of clutch amino acids. Get some of Kobe's clutch DNA every day. Another favorite is the crab omelet. It's not Alaskan king crab. No, it's Akron prince crab seasoned with some Bosch spice. You can wash it down with a can of... Lachoke, Use promo code THINK and get 20% off any Tim Duncan donut with your breakfast. Check it out at www.skippyhottakes.com. And again, use promo code THINK. Before we keep going, I got to tell a story. Here's the background of the story. It's the off season. Stuff gets slow. People get antsy. There's a there's a whole mayonnaise thing that goes around, as I mentioned before. I really still can't get over this. There's a there's an annual mayonnaise discussion on Twitter. That, I think that should be maybe a podcast by itself. Uh, mayonnaise: the good, the bad, and the ugly. Anyway, here's the backstory. There was a comparison, I think, put forward originally by a, a jazz writer between Rudy Gobert and Dwight Howard. Now, to me, that's a fairly understandable comparison, especially for the off season, where you say, here's a guy who's the best traditional defensive big we have today. You know, he blocks shots. He's got that seven foot nine condor wingspan, patrols the paint, and he makes a huge difference. He has massive defensive impact numbers. Why don't we compare him to the guy 10 years ago? Pretty different environment 10 years ago. This was before the, the mori Ball revolution. And that's Dwight Howard. And so he, he stacked up Gobert against Howard. Now, as a follow-up to that, because you, you first might genuflect a little, you might, you might think, well, that seems interesting. You know, I don't hear Gobert in MVP conversations. And Dwight Howard, at his, at his best, was certainly in a handful of MVP conversations. And so I, I sent out a tweet, which was saying the gist of it was, hey, you know, surprisingly, if you look at a handful of high-level metrics... Uh, They're actually pretty similar, with the exception of Dwight Howard in the post. Dwight Howard's ability to score around the rim and self-generate his offense around the rim clearly gives him a leg up on Gobert, at least in that area, and then seems to give him a downstream advantage in overall impact metrics. But they're pretty close. That was my takeaway from going under the hood quickly, because... They're both phenomenal defenders. Gobert may even be slightly more impactful in his time. They both dive to the rim very well as pick-and-roll men, setting that screen and rolling to the hoop. Uh, They both offensive rebound well and and can clean up around the hoop. So I send out this tweet, and much to my surprise, first, uh, apparently there was a backlash that these two players were even being compared. Now, that's a little strange to me. Uh, if you're trying to say there's an equivalence between a superstar and a mere star or a guy who's a role player or something like that, I can understand that. But when you, again, when you have the two best defensive guys, when you've got, Gobert is certainly underrated and a monster in, he's one of the elite players in the league. The, the Jazz with and without Gobert, the difference is uh, historically good, basically. Go, Gobert has massive massive conditional value there with his defensive impact in the lane. And and in addition to that, as I just mentioned, he's not uh, inept on offense. Just because he doesn't have those self-generating skills to be an offensive star, he still has some kind of value on offense, whether it's from his offensive rebounding or being able to dive to the hoop. Uh, he's not a negative, let's put it that way. But of course, Howard is a little bit better. And that was the gist of the tweet. Now I hit Twitter bingo. If you've never played Twitter bingo, it's a wonderful game. It's when you tweet out information, usually in the form of facts. And then you, you look at your bingo card and you say, okay, what kind of responses can I get? So first I got, uh, watch the game. Uh, that's, that's a key one. You got to get a watch the game. After that, I, I got, you know, the usual things that could fill up the card here and there. You know, I got, uh, can you imagine thinking that Rudy Gobert is as good as Dwight Howard? Um, which, ironically, wasn't what the tweet said, but that's neither here nor there. And then I got the, the the two most, I think, important ways to complete your bingo card. In addition to watch the game, I got made-up stats. That's a big one. I'm making up stats a box plus minus, that's a made-up stat. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I sit at home and maybe it's my putty bed sheets or something. I, I look at the putty bedsheets, it seeps into my brain and I make it up the next day. I say, check the wind, made-up stats. And the last one, the, the coup de gras of Twitter bingo is, well, you're ruining the game. You've ruined the game by sharing this information about these two players. You're ruining the game. And I think this is an interesting philosophical point to pause and ponder, especially when we see the way these discussions go between, as I said, let's call them the two different groups of people, those who really rely and use primarily traditional stats and those who use what we consider more advanced stats or newer, uh, richer pieces of information. Uh, the, The idea that they're ruining the game I think it's literally true. I I won't wax too philosophical on this, but if you think about it, they're saying from their perspective, I have an understanding of the game. It fits in this box. And you're just coming along with all this new stuff that is completely at odds with my understanding. And I think from a a literal social standpoint, that's what that means. It's, it's, It's not that by producing a plus minus stat, I have the ability to ruin the basketball game and, and shift how teams play around the NBA. It's more that experience changes for a lot of fans. And that's a, that's a very real thing to monitor and keep track of over time. Okay, so that's my, that's my Twitter bingo story. Now, let's hop back in our time machine. If we get in our time machine and we go back, let's say, 15 years... And we look at the conversation, especially in the earlier days of the internet, the internet 1.0, if you will. And I've been around enough to have seen these conversations, but if you weren't engaging online back then, you can try to find some of these old articles or dial up the Wayback Machine on the internet or something like that. And they're fairly striking to see. So if we're in, you know, 2005 or something in our time machine what we would see is that the the stats guys, the guys who fall into this advanced stat bucket, would have been strongly peddling things like win shares or PER. And, well, that's because, you know, PER, when it came out, was, if we go to the 90s in our time machine, we really didn't have any composite metrics metrics or advanced metrics in basketball. We ha- It's just points, rebounds, assists. Steals and blocks. And starting at some point in the 90s, as, as the internet uh, came online, what we saw was an effort. I, I certainly first saw it in fantasy or uh, NBA.com. We, we, we saw an effort to try to move the data forward now that we had interconnected machines. And so you saw the first composite metrics. And I think PER is the output of that era. We're going to use points, rebounds, assists, give them some weighting calculation or whatever, and come up with this single one number that's better than, I guess, points per game. Because for a long time it was something like points per game or points per game and field goal percentage, or I want to figure out how good guys are, but I know not everybody scores a lot. I have a concept in my mind that You know, maybe even though Magic Johnson only averages 18 or 20 points a game, that he might be better than a lot of guys who average 25 or 30 points per game. This is where we were for a long time, and it starts to touch on what I think is the second big principle in this conversation. And that's this idea of the tyranny of the quantifiable. The tyranny of the quantifiable is a term that basically says, whatever you can measure whatever you do measure, starts to take up more brain space. It starts to slowly creep into other areas and drown them out. You start to give it more confidence. You start to give it more weight. So take points per game, which is the original, you know, that's kind of like the OG stat heads. We're touting their points per game and maybe your rebounds and assists or something. Because that is measured, you focus more on who scores then for instance how the scoring was done so before you measure anything if you went back in time and we took our time machine back to the 40s or back to the 19th century with James Naismith and we said okay what do we want to measure we might measure well how did the guy get you know how did this guy score why is this team doing this and we might end up with a lot of different ideas about what makes someone good at basketball but because we measured points we end up with something that focuses on points this is what i call the scoring blindness it's a, it's a cognitive psychological focus and i describe it in detail in thinking basketball if you want to check that out i won't i won't belabor it here it leads to this idea where well points becomes a tyrant in our mind because we stop thinking about something like spacing or how the shot was created or the value of the pass or screening or anything like this. And we really just start to focus on points. And And the more we see that, the less we think about other stuff, the more we give that credit in weight. And this is a trap that you can fall into at every step of the way. So 15 or 20 years ago, when we started to advance our understanding of these things and PER came along, PER was given that same weight. And there was a similar divide. It's, it's again, this idea of advancement versus tradition that traditionally, okay, now I'm comfortable with points per game and these classic things being the measurement you're coming along with PER. What is that all about? And if you come along with PER on the flip side of the coin, you're saying, well, this is an advancement over the thing that we had. This is really a better way to put into perspective stuff related to scoring and rebounds and assists and that classic stuff in the box score. And so I'm going to give PER more weight. And the more I look at PER, the more that PER is put up on the screen, on the scoreboard, on the basketball card, whatever, the more I'm going to start believing PER is not only you know, really accurate or something I'm really confident in, but it's going to get my mind to think less and less about other things that could contribute to value. That's the tyranny of the quantifiable. It's a trap that we all have to be careful of falling into, whether we identify as a more traditionalist or uh, more advanced in terms of a stat head or something like that. It's the classic trap. And so if we stay in our time machine and we move past PER, another emerging thing, of course, was true shooting percentage versus field goal percentage, which I think is an advancement because it's just, incorporating 3-point three 3-pointers three and free throws and things like that. At the same time, we're in our time machine, we're back in 2005. Again, some folks were resistant to that, but if you were in the analytics community at that time, there was a sense of dogmatism. There was a sense of gospel about this. And so what happened was you had the entire movement of guys and I talked about this in previous podcasts, guys like Alan Iverson, guys like Russell Westbrook today, who started to appear as inefficient scorers on high volume. And because of this, the community said, wait a second, these guys are overrated. They may even be hurting the team. They're possibly hurting the team with with all this negative volume scoring. You're a chucker. Now, of course, uh, on the previous podcast, we, we talked about how that probably wasn't so. But for a long time... The advanced stat crowd peddled that idea very, very firmly. And that, again, is the tyranny of the quantifiable. I've got better information about shooting efficiency. I know it's better than field goal percentage. And as a result, I'm going to focus more on shooting efficiency. Because I have it. Because I know it. It's measured for everyone. And now I can compare points per game and shooting efficiency. And I can really make a much better judgment about who's better at basketball. Another problem with analytics is that sometimes we can use measurements that don't really connect to the thing we care about measuring. So if you care about on-court impact and how someone affects the scoreboard or something like that, clutch scoring sounds like something that would be awesome. It was uh, one of the more popular advanced stats when we started to get play-by-play, and time logs of when stuff happened, and yet, as I've written about before, when you put it under a microscope, it doesn't really have that big of an impact on outcome. A more simple example is to say, if we could have a leaderboard of the top three-point percentage shooters from half court, how helpful would that be? How relevant would that be to figuring out Who's helping teams win basketball games? Of course, it wouldn't be very relevant. Okay, I, I think the other big thing is that we always need to understand how to apply the context. In other words, if we have our shooting efficiency numbers, those are great, but we have to realize they're heavily impacted by teammates or defensive quality. So we want to account for that. We want to account for that in every way possible. We want to say, all right. I, I can do some mental curving similarly with raw plus minus. Raw plus minus has a number of confounders. It's the Derek Fisher problem. Derek Fisher was always on the court with Kobe Bryant and maybe Pau Gasol and a Shaq and a bunch of good teammates. And so Derek Fisher is going to have a really good plus minus. But you'd want to account for that, and you do that with a bunch of adjustments, and that's how you get adjusted plus minus. Uh, Even adjusted plus minus itself can be sensitive to team circumstances, and that's one of the reasons why I value checking across multiple team circumstances for value metrics like that. So at any point in time, if we're talking about the sport, we're using stats, whether they're traditional stats or advanced stats, and we don't apply context, we don't connect them to the thing where we care about valuing, that's when we go wrong. Uh, I think that applies to both the traditional group and the advanced group, and I would love to see it used as a means of common ground when it comes to the tyranny of the quantifiable. That's probably the biggest thing that we have to be careful about moving forward. Any, Any new information we get, we have to be careful not to overly trust it, not to drown out the things that we still can't yet measure. Those things have historically been brought along by folks who tout intangibles. Intangible is just a word for a thing that we don't have a good measurement for because we're not conducting physics here. Uh, we, we're, we're actually, uh, not only are we in a real world dirty environment, but we've done a great job capturing all this stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, we, we've got optical cameras inside the arenas tracking players and the ball and mapping them into computers that are using you know artificial intelligence and fancy algorithms to understand everything that's happening on the court that's magical that's fantastic we truly are living in the data ball era but as we get access to new information we want to keep in mind the things that we can't measure and so i think that that classic tyranny of the quantifiable trap that's the trap that we often fall into as a community. And the other one, of course, is sometimes using information that doesn't have the greatest context or connection to what we're measuring. I think PER is a classic example of that. PER may be better than just looking at someone's points per game as like a player ranker. But it to understand what it really does and what the algorithm does, doesn't get you further than looking at the context Looking at the classic stats that we already know and uh, slicing them up into different ways. So I think if there's one final note I want to end on here, it's this. Traditionally, what was once called advanced statistics, what the group of people who were once called stat guys have always slowly evolved into the traditionalists. They've always become the traditional guys. If you're someone who is skeptical of stats or thinks that there's too many stats or analytics is not something that is your jam, realize that all of the data and in the in the stats that you use were once used by people who were considered advanced. They were once used by the guys who were called stat heads. I think that's my first big takeaway. My other big takeaway, which I hope goes towards bridging these two communities is all of these challenges apply to everyone regardless of your method of choice, regardless of which camp people label you as. In other words, the tyranny of the quantifiable affects both those using something like points per game and those looking at adjusted plus minus or... or whatever new sexy stat has come along lately. The issue of using context, the issue of connecting things with meaning applies both to something like steals, perhaps, which may not be the most meaningful defensive metric. And a great example of drowning out other things on defense. For a long time, we valued steals. Go back and look at the all defensive guys. It was steals, and because we measured steels, we didn't look at rotations and hedges and all these other things, deterrence and things that just weren't measured. So it's a great example. But the context still needs to be there. Because even, even on the advanced plane, if we look at something like, oh, uh, clutch shooting, it's the same thing to, to overly focus or embrace a metric that doesn't really move the bottom line that much doesn't move the needle that's another trap and so we're all in it together we're all we're all looking at the same challenges and the same things and of course access to video access to scheme being able to watch the game being able to connect the data to the video which is my my mission statement it's my mo I think that's the That's the thing we should ultimately strive for. As always, this show is powered by Patreons. Patreons support and make this show possible at patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball if you want to go over there and contribute, get access to some cool stuff. If you like this episode or any of the other episodes we've done, share them, pass them around, do all that fun social media stuff. And otherwise, I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Have a great day.